Well, good morning once again. Um, a couple weeks ago, I got to stand up here and introduce a video of John. Unfortunately, today, it's just, it's just me the whole time. So uh, John is out of town this weekend, uh, enjoying a great weekend with his family. So for you, that means that I am your cruise director this morning. Um, and I can only imagine how weird you're feeling seeing the guy that's supposed to be singing talking to you right now. But trust me, I feel even weirder about it. So you're not alone. Uh, you know that we were joking this morning. You know that thing you do once a year, and every time you do it, you have to go reread the manual or go learn how to do it again and go try to figure it out and act like you know how to do it? We're doing it. <laughs> and I figure worst-case scenario this morning, if, if it goes badly, I just don't ever have to do it again. You know, They just won't ask me. I'm sure it will be fine. So this morning, our proverb that we're going through, as we've been going through for weeks, we've been going through lots of proverbs. Uh, we're going to be going through Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So if you have your throw pillow with you, your blanket, your wall art, your mug, a bracelet, necklace, somewhere that you can read this verse, uh, maybe even the Bible, we're going to read that together in just a minute. Uh, this is one of the most highly quoted verses, and so you probably have it on a mug, you probably have it on your wall, you probably have it somewhere in your house. And because of that, unfortunately, we may be immune to hearing it. Um, a couple weeks ago, my dad was supposed to be here speaking, and this was actually the proverb that he was going to be speaking on. And so we got to share some notes, and I got to see what he was planning on doing, and I got to base some of this on what he was doing. And one thing that I really liked uh, from his notes that he was planning on doing was reading, uh, before we read the proverb, reading Hebrews 4.12. As a reminder, it says, for the word of, the God, of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So before we read this together, let's pray uh, as one. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we get to share this morning in your word. We get to share in the power of it. Lord, we get to share in the meaning of it. Lord, I pray that we would hear this verse with a new and a fresh heart, Lord, that we would see uh, what your intentions were behind it when you wrote it and what that means for our lives, Lord. I pray uh, that we would enjoy this time together as one church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Most of us find ourselves in church this morning um, because we came to a place at some point in our lives where we made that decision to trust God. We saw that our hope in him was salvation that he brought to us. We found that the only way uh, for eternal life with him, the only way of that redemption was through putting our trust in Jesus. And if you're anything like me, once we've addressed some of these glaring issues in our lives, it's easy to become get to a complacent point in our lives where we have this working knowledge of God and we start to put our security not only in God but in multiple other things because it's nice to spread out uh, what we find our security in because we've started to learn the God thing, but we also, we know a lot about this. We know a lot about that. And our, our reliance and our trust become shared with all these other securities and we are no longer trusting, as the verse says, with all of our hearts. The concept of trust is not one that I feel like we need to find the deeper meaning on. I don't need to tell you what trust is, you know, you know what trust is, but I think the reminder that we need a lot of times, I know that I need from my life, is that the daily reminder is that we don't lean on our own understanding, but we fully trust in the Lord. And the, the, the key here that I was thinking about this week was that we can't trust 
in God and lean on our own understanding all at the same time. For me, growing up in church, hearing the Bible stories of all the people in the Old Testament, it seems so easy and so strange that these people would be following God and seeing and witnessing these miracles and walk where God had parted the seas and then only a couple of years later to turn to worship a golden statue. Uh, I looked at that and I thought, wow, these stupid people, how could they do that? That's crazy. Um, but I do that in my own life all the time. I simultaneously try to take control of things via my own understanding. And so I only feel qualified to speak for me up here. Um, it's it's kind of strange being the one standing in this spot. I always jokingly said that as a kid growing up in church, I thought whoever was standing up there on stage really knew what they were talking about and that I don't, and I'm really glad I'm not up there. And I thought at some point in life that feeling would change over if I was ever doing it, but it doesn't. It doesn't. I still just feel like the same person sitting there learning from what God has in the Bible. And so I hope some of these areas also apply to you. I know for me, a lot of times in my life, if anything involves excessive Googling and lost sleep and stress, it usually is me trying to like take control, but usually in like a money kind of way where I'm trying to like be super frugal and save every possible penny. Possible penny. Uh, last winter, I became super obsessed with our oil usage at our house, which I grew up in Florida, so we didn't need heat, and we also definitely didn't heat our house with oil. When, I, when we started looking for a house to buy, they were like, well, the oil tank's over there. I'm like, great, I can keep all my oil there, I guess. Like, I, you know, like, I usually go to the auto parts store and get my oil. I don't know about you. But it turns out that's how you heat your house. And so, like, a, the prices of oil were just insane last year, and so we were really feeling that. And I started to go on this quest, you know, this personal quest to seek and to save every money I could on oil. So I... It turns out these things exist, so I didn't have to make as many of these things, but I had made these little sensors so I could track how long my boiler was running, and then it was cross-referencing that to, like, the boil burn per hour, and I had this little dashboard online that I could access, and I could see my day's usage, my week's usage, my month's usage, my projected usage, and then I had a web scraper set up to go to Hackettstown Oil and check every day what the price was so I'd get an alert on my phone. I'm not kidding. This is all real. Uh, and I drove, I drove Lydia, my wife, insane. And then I also made these other sensors for my electronic heat sources, like the little space heaters, you know, trying to save a little bit. Space heaters and tracking what those were using and what those were costing, and then trying to see if I could turn those on at a certain time. Like, I was going nuts. And I thought, I was telling myself this was me being frugal. This is me saving money. And even writing this down, I was thinking, like, it's not bad to save money. It's not bad to try to be wise with your finances. The realization I had at some point was that this is not me just being frugal. This is me trying to exert this extra level of control and trust in, in, in my finances to squeeze every last penny of this control and the security that I could spread out over other areas of my life because I found security in things that I could do with that money other than just do something not fun like just heat the house. You know, heating the house is not fun, but I got to heat the house. Uh, the other area that I find myself trying to find more security in is, uh, in is, is my health. You know, we exert control, we eat well, uh, we exercise often. And for me, the most important thing is keeping a list in my head and judging people from a distance and knowing at least that I'm doing better than them. I don't know if you were here last week, but John made us all feel pretty good at confessing how many burgers that he's been eating recently. Um, but 
you know, we're trying, we're all on the same pathway with health. It's, it's eventually deteriorating. It's a thing that's futile. It's things that we're trying to control. I think in my life, I'm trying to push that thing down the road, and I don't have to solve it because I know that I, quote, unquote, have time because I can rely on my health. Uh, but First Timothy 4, 7 to 10 says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. I spend very little time training to be godly. I spend a lot of time training myself in these other things and trying to fix things and trying to solve things all on my own. We think we're finding freedom from the stresses of life by exerting control over these temporary things and solutions, but they lack any eternal effectiveness. Uh, I was looking up some funny phrases uh, for tasks that are impossible and got a good laugh out of, it's like trying to nail, nail jelly to a wall, which I thought was funny. But trusting in the Lord with all your heart is this freedom that's unmatched uh, by perfect health and wealth. Um, in Ezekiel, uh, it, it tells us the act of giving God your heart actually results in a new heart. 36.26, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove a heart of stone and give you, give you a stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So, so often our solution to this sort of training to be godly and this training to trust in the Lord is just some sort of outrageous solution where we go, I'm going to read through the Bible in the next two weeks. I'm going to sign up for every group, Monday, Friday, Thursday, you know, like just every day of the week. I'm going to go do everything possible I can. It's this attempt to be better. It's trying to do more. It's trying, it's again, just like I was doing my oil. You're trying to save yourself by doing something yourself. But according to what we just read about that new heart, uh, our trust in God is, is for salvation, placing us a new heart that's filled with his spirit that we can simply submit to rather than continue to try to do better. We've all experienced trust. We've all um, trusted in something at some point or another. The things we trust in have been built up with positive feedback over years and years and years. And just like I said before, why do we trust money? Because money solves problems for us really easy. You're hungry, you go buy food. Your car's broken, you fix it with your money. You need more oil. Well, according to your charts, you buy it or you don't buy it. But it's, even, it's, it's easy to trust in something that you've seen solve all these problems for you time after time. And even if you're thinking, well, I don't have enough money to find security in it like other people do, that's just evidence that we look at other people in jealousy of their money because we think they're so secure in their money and we wish we could be that secure in money. And if you can't identify with those two examples, uh, I think you could clearly think of the last thing that caused you to lose sleep. And there's a good chance that that's something that you're trying to put more security in than God. And the things that we put our trust in become our God. And when we find security in the things that are material, temporary, and of this life, they are inevitably proven to be worthless and futile. When me and John were talking about this this week, I went back and forth with some things with John, and we are talking about things, some stuff from my dad's notes. So if you really don't like anything, just assume that someone else said it. Um, but one thing we were talking about that was, was really interesting was this idea culturally we're told all throughout our lives that you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Financially, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, career-wise, you don't want to put yourself two in one corner because you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. But this call to trust God with all your heart is, is different because he's calling us to literally put all of our eggs in one basket to actually trust him with all areas of our life. The next piece of this verse is, and do not lean on your own understanding. 
Uh, one of my favorite verses and one area that I've come back to a lot is John chapter 6, or one story that I come back to a lot. Uh, so in this place, Jesus is speaking to this crowd of disciples, the sort of greater following of disciples, not just the 12. So this group that has been following him, listening to his teachings, um, and they start questioning Jesus and pretty much demanding that he provide some miracles. Uh, they actually wanted him to repeat the miracle of manna daily from heaven like they had experienced with Moses and coming out of Israel. And they wanted to see this and witness this food being provided for them. For them. And which is interesting because just the day before he had fed the thousands with a few fish and a few loaves. And then he had walked across the Sea of Galilee uh, over to the other side. And then they came to him with these sort of mixed motivations. They wanted to see him provide these material things for him. They wanted to see him pro provide this manna from heaven. But they also were expecting the Savior to be this material king to come and put them into power over the Roman government. Their understanding told them that he could provide these things for him, from, for them. And when Jesus heard all these things and saw all these things, in John chapter 6, 26 and 27, he says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So he continues back and forth with this crowd. This crowd is just not understanding. Why won't you just show us this miracle? Why won't you just feed us? We want this. We want to please God. We want to do what God wants to do so we can get that manna. And Jesus says to them again, or this is them saying to him, then they said to him, what must we do to, be, to see the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what signs can you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? They wanted Jesus to put on the show for them, to show them that he is that mighty king. They wanted him to provide for them that manna. And so they get so frustrated, they're so locked into their own understanding of what Jesus is supposed to be, uh, that telling them to follow him as the true bread of life is just a frustrating thing for him. They can't grasp it. They can't release their own understanding. And they get so frustrated, and they all just start leaving. They all just start walking away from Jesus and giving up and not following him anymore, not listening to his teachings. And this is why it's my favorite part. In 67 through 69, it says, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed them and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, they did not understand the teaching, and they might have been just as confused as that crowd was. But what they said was, we know that you have the words to eternal life. We don't have to worry about what we do or do not understand at this point. It's so easy to get caught up in what we think is supposed to happen that we just forget about what can happen, what God has provided for us. I don't know about you, but there's so many times when I think about in my life where I was so convinced of something and then I just ended up being completely and totally wrong. Uh, one Christmas, I asked my parents for an electric guitar. Um, not many people know this, but I play guitar. Um, just, just a joke. It's okay. Um, but so I was probably in like fifth or sixth grade. I'd play guitar a little bit. You know, I had my acoustic guitar. I could, you know, I play the chords, but I didn't have an electric guitar. You know, like playing solos, you know, like cool stuff, like, you know, like electric guitar. And so, so I asked for an electric guitar for Christmas. I was so excited. I was, you know, wondering if I'm going to get it or not. And I can remember this aha moment very clearly, even the place I was. So I grew up in Florida. 
We were at, it was a couple weeks before Christmas, we were at the Pensacola Ice Pilots game, minor league hockey team. Um, we were there a lot. You know, we all the standard hockey playlist songs, lots of Guns N' Roses mixed up with, like, Cotton Eye Joe, you know, the normal stuff. So sitting there listening to those electric guitar sounds, I had this very clear aha moment of, you know, all the notes on electric guitars just sound like that. You just have to move your fingers fast enough, and you can play all that stuff. Like, you don't have to worry about hitting wrong notes because they just, they just sound right because it's an electric guitar. That's how it's supposed to sound. And I was so convinced. I can remember almost where we were sitting when I had that thought, and I was so excited for my electric guitar for Christmas. And then Christmas comes around. I get an electric guitar, and it turns out that my skills were very consistent between the acoustic guitar and the electric guitar because that's not how it works. And I remember this moment because I, was, I wasn't that surprised. It wasn't that, you know, I wasn't, like, even that disappointed because I realized it, and I was like, wow, that was that was stupid. Like, I, that was never going to be the thing. That doesn't make any sense at all. You have to actually learn how to play those solos. You can't just pick up an electric guitar. Uh, but just like me, I'm sure there's times in your life you look back on and you, you think about your previous self and your previous understanding. That's what we're talking about, the understanding. And you think, how silly was I? I think you can reflect as, you know, a freshman entering high school and as your senior self, what you thought of that freshman as, as you walked through the doors of that high school, how much that freshman just didn't know. Or when you graduated college and you thought through all the different, uh, if you're like me, all the different majors that you went for for a period of time, when you have plenty of time like me and it, you do an eight-year bachelor's degree, uh, you switch a lot of times. Also, I was working and doing it part-time, but but there were so many things when I started college that I didn't see as clearly as when I graduated college. And I think back now, all of our daughter is four years old, and we have Ivor, who's two years old. And I think back to four years ago when I had no, no kids. It's not that I had the wrong understanding. I just didn't have an understanding of what it was like to have a child and to have this person rely on me. I was so clueless to that. I was ready for it, but I was so clueless to that to look back and think of all the things that I didn't know before I had a kid. And then we think about just, if you think back a, a decade ago, or what do you think you're going to think about right now as, you, as you're sitting in life at this moment 10 years from now? What will you look back and also see that you have a flawed understanding on it? Our understanding can be so flawed and we're just blind to it. The, the disciples were just as confused as the crowd possibly, but they didn't turn away. They were willing to move to Jesus' understanding and look to Jesus and follow Jesus because they knew they could have have trust in him. They saw all the reasons they could trust in him. Their understanding was no longer important because they found someone who was worthy of their trust. It's so important that we learn how to admit the times when we've gotten things wrong and also remember all the times that God has gotten it right. There's a reason that many times throughout the Old Testament, the people of God put up monuments to remember what God has done for them and victories that he's given them. In 1 Samuel 7, it tells the story of the Israelites under attack from the Philistines, and God intervenes, leads them to victory. And so Samuel erects this large stone and names it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. This monument that stood somewhere where everyone could see it, where they remembered that time where they were under imminent attack from the Philistines, and this, this was all going bad. And then God stepped in and gave them victory and ensures that the Israelites always recognize that their true source of victory, their true source of triumph, is in the Lord. This is something that would be so easy for us to put into practice, is to take these things and we feel God move in our lives, that we write them down, that we, we share these stories with friends and family, because 
for, I know for me, it's very impactful to look at someone else's life and remember a thing that God has done in their life, especially when I'm experiencing a similar situation and I'm unsure about the outcome. Me and Lydia were talking about this this, this week as well, the idea that like, we want our kids to be raised in a household where they, when they are raised and when they are going through some of the things that they see us going through, that we point back to the victories that God has given us. And we point those out clearly to them so that when they're experiencing those things, they can say, well, I remember when mom and dad were dealing with that and God stepped in and solved that. It's important that we have these monuments in our life, these moments that we recognize God's movement. So this next piece of the verse um, in all your ways, acknowledge him. This is a great first step for us. Uh, we're renewing that trust constantly in the Lord is to acknowledge him in everything that we do. It's so easy uh, for us in all areas of our life to just start boxing things and compartmentalizing. That's something that we talk about pretty often in the church, that we put God in spaces and leave him out of certain spaces, that we, that we pray for God with these big things uh, but fail to acknowledge his presence in all things. So there's this separation between church us and not church us, at home us, work us, church us. There's these sort of things that we become normal for us. We feel moved by God in these big ways in certain moments, and then we easily move away from God as we go about our days and weeks. And I know I don't know about you. Again, I can only speak for me, but I know it's easy for me to it's easy for me to give God control of the things that I absolutely have no possible way of controlling, right? Like, it's easy for us to find faith in things that we just completely can't do. But when you start to think that you can do it, you know, I can try. I can try to save this or do that. But we're always just fooling ourselves into thinking that we're doing, what we're doing is trusting God in these big things. But what we're doing is just trying to control God through sort of a religion and a behavior and good things and trying to do right by God in order to gain these outcomes, and that's not trust. That's just another attempt at us controlling something. Um, I, I take control of these things and try to take credit for, like, money, like trying to acquire it. I acquired it, so it's up to me to disperse it based on my needs, but to acknowledge him in all of my ways means that I give him credit for the things as I receive him. The good things that happen are credit to God and not credit to me. Acknowledging God combats our feelings of this self-sufficiency and reminds us of our reliance on God and trust in him. It's so easy for us to take credit and believe that our agency has brought us to this place in our life, but to acknowledge God aligns us with God as our provider. Uh, the story of John and Peter in Luke chapter 5. Um, Peter had been fishing all day and, and caught nothing, but Jesus walked up and needed a place to preach and ask Peter if he could row him out just a little bit so that he could speak to the crowds on the beach. And Peter hesitates, tells Jesus that they've already fished all night and caught nothing. In other words, this is Peter saying, I'm a fisherman. I know this way. This is my way. I, my ways in this and fishing are fine. I know fishing. We've already fished. But then in Luke chapter 5, he goes on. He says, uh, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled for their partners and other boats to come help them, and they came and they filled their boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at the knees of Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. When Jesus stepped into the way that Peter thought he knew, that Peter had been going about his own way, doing his own thing, and Jesus showed him, You don't really have a full understanding of your way. You haven't acknowledged my way. Follow my way. Jesus finally saw clearly the picture of who Jesus was. And it's interesting because just 
a few verses before this, Peter, Peter had an encounter with Jesus where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter had witnessed a miracle before, but not had this sort of powerful reaction to it. It was in those moments when Peter's ways would be shown, were shown to him to not be of God uh, was when he had that realization that who Jesus was and what his way was and that he needed to follow Jesus. God wants into our lives in, in, in all of these ways, and that means we let him into our relationships with others, our spouses, our children, our work, our hobbies. If you're like me, you have way too many hobbies. All these hobbies are ways that we can serve God and do things for God if we acknowledge him in those ways. And if you don't believe me, we got plenty of verses to back it up. Colossians 3:17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. So the passage concludes with he will make your path straight. And I think this is probably the reason that this ends up pasted all over our houses and on our mugs. And we see this so often is because who wouldn't want a straight path? Straight paths sound nice. If you've ever found your way on a winding path or someone's gotten a little switchback happy on a hike, you're like, well, I could just, it's just right there. I could just walk up there. Why am I going back and forth? Straight paths are nice. And so often we're so obsessed with finding that one specific path. There's this, you, you get the, we get this in our head. I get this in my head. I don't want to take one step to the right or to the left because we're trying to find that right path, you know, the path that we're told that we're supposed to be on in Matthew 7 when it says the entrance to, into the kingdom of God is through a narrow gate. There's only one way through that narrow gate into the kingdom of God, and that is Jesus. But we're talking about life inside that kingdom. Once we have followed Jesus into the life in the kingdom and we have put him first in our life, there are a whole lot of directions that are open to us inside his kingdom because we are made in the image of God, and part of that image is his creative nature that he's placed in us. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, if we take that verse and add it to the verse that we just read, Psalm 37, 4 to 5, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. And be, you begin to see the freedom uh, that we have in our relationship with God. We combine these truths together We've gone that a God that aligns to our will, delights in our creativity, and wants to give us the desires of our heart. And in, the, in that pursuit, uh, he makes straight the path before us. Because after all, why would he not give us the desires of our hearts when that heart has been placed within us and has been filled with his spirit when we pursue him? Once again, I can't tell you what straight paths means for you, but I can tell you what it means uh, for me. When I stop to evaluate and look around at uh, my current state of life. You know, I think it's important for us to do that often is evaluate what's going on and how you got to where you're at. And when I do that and I look at um, this place, this church that I stand in right now, um, this state that I still feel like I'm unfamiliar with um, that's obsessed with bagels. And, and I, I think uh, I find myself here on a straight path. I grew up in an area of Florida 
that I feel is somewhat similar to this and the high school life that I was in and all my friends, everyone's trying to go to the best school. There's a lot of pressure on performance and test scores and what are you doing with your life and what are you what would what score did you get on that or this? And and for me, everyone when everyone would ask me, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Which always felt like a high pressure situation, and so I always would, you know, we always halfway joke, but that's really a part of our heart. the The joke that I said was really of all the desires of my heart, which was I just want to have a job where I can provide for my family, and I want to be able to value them with my time. You know, it was. It was simple to me at that stage, and that was the desire that, that I felt. And then, so years ago when Olive was born, I remember this immense worry that I felt um, that I would not be able to provide well enough for her and for my family, and, or that in order to do that, it would cost me sacrificing uh, that time and that value with them. And so I, it was this weird place of being in. So at the time, I had, I had moved from Florida to take a job out in Las Vegas, and that's where I met my wife. I worked out there for six, six, about seven years. And it was a great job. It was a great church that I got to work for. I really enjoyed being out there. But when Olive was born, I had those realizations that there wasn't really a path here for me and my family. And it's so wild to think, because people say, well, why did you end up in New Jersey? And all I can say is it was a path made straight by God. I, was, I got in touch with John and Renee through someone who goes here in this church that I happened to have met in Las Vegas and I felt like that was God showing us a path uh, forward. And it's a scary thing to move your family. Olive was just six months at the time, six months old at the time. It was two months before the pandemic shut down. So it was a weird stage of life. It was a weird time. But when you see a path set before you uh, where God is giving you the desires of your heart, uh, your trust in him is not being tested, but it's being reinforced. And I don't, I don't want to paint a picture that isn't true. There's been plenty of tears since we've been here. This has not been easy. A lot of times we found ourselves in, you know, like it's, it's, it's hard being alone with your kids and not having the help of your parents. And like, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have gone into us being here. But every step of the way, it feels like God has provided for us. And this has really felt like a path that he set us on. And so here I have that where I'm able to value my family, support my family, and I even have one thing that high school me never mentioned. Um, it's that I have a job that I enjoy that allows me to use all the strange little hobbies that I love to do. And I love music. I love making things. Um, and I get to do all those things and do it at a church that I love and really enjoy. Uh, even now, I stand boldly underneath a chandelier that I welded together with skills I learned from YouTube. So... And uh, I'm incredibly thankful to be able to do that and to be on the path that God has set us on. Uh, and if the band's still willing to stand underneath it, it's about time y'all come back up here. Um, I, got, I got the opportunity one summer to travel and to worship at a kid's camp. And when I say kid's camp, I mean kid's camp, like first through fifth graders. And I said before, I didn't know much about kids. I definitely didn't know much about kid's camp. Uh, one thing I learned a lot that uh, I learned about myself that summer is I don't have camp energy. I don't have what it takes to fake camp energy for an entire summer. I'm not a big organized cheers guy. Like, go red team. Like, it's just not me. Um, but one thing that I did take from that summer that has sort of stuck with me was the way that we explained faith to these kids, these first through fifth graders. Um, and I'm sure you've been on the edge of your seat this entire time wondering where this groundbreaking, beautiful, painted analogy, illustration, when it was going to come and it was going to blow your mind. 
uh, well, this isn't it. Uh, we, it, was just, it was just a chair. You know, we were traveling, and you had to have options. So there were chairs everywhere we went. I chose not to bring one up as an example because there's plenty in the room. Um, but so we would bring a chair up in front of the kids, and we would say, uh, am I sitting in the chair? And we would, like, hover over it. We do all these sort of things. Like we lean on it. We'd like do all sorts of things, everything but sit in it. And all every time these hundreds of kids would yell, no, and we're like, you're not sitting in the chair. And, and then eventually we would turn and we would sit in the chair. And they'd be like, ah. Um, and it was our way of saying, well, when you put your faith in God, you've taken all your weight off of everything else. You're and you have no doubt in that chair. You're sitting in it. Your faith is resting in it. Your trust is fully in it. You have no sort of eggs over here, eggs over here. You're not balancing over here just in case the chair falls. You're trusting in it. You have faith. And I got to thinking about that again this week and thought it was also a good representation of us putting trust into practice because I don't know about you. I didn't watch you all walk in here this morning, but when I walk into a new room or walk into a restaurant, I don't flip the chair over and inspect it make sure who made it, make sure it's from a reputable brand, check it for damage. I just turn around and sit my happy self down. You know, it's just a chair. I'm used to chairs. I sit in chairs all the time. And you have a lot of reinforcement for why you trust chairs. You sit in chairs at home. You sit in chairs at here. You sit in chairs at home. It's this, it's this classic thing that you've done every day. And so I got to thinking about that and our trust in the Lord. And I think as consistently as we trust in the Lord, and we lean not on our own understanding, acknowledge him in all of our ways, we will consistently be reaping these results of our trust in the Lord, and that's his straight paths. So would you stand and let's finish out this morning singing together.